0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is Tell Me About It with Scroobius Pip and Stuart Whiffin. I'm Scroobius Pip and I'm sat opposite Mr... Stu Whiffin. You
2: call me Stuart? Why did you call me
1: Stuart? I've got you written down there as just Stuart Whiffin for take, some reason. Take
2: the art out of it.
1: Okay, you do that. There we go. You sure take the art out of these things. <laughs> well, How are
2: you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. I'm excited um, to get episode three out. I mean, episode two, and, and if, you, if you're if you new to this as well, and you've you've just jumped in at episode three, welcome, welcome to the party. You're a little bit late. But you're yep. still welcome in. Take take your shoes off at the door, please. But do come in. But when you get to the end of episode three, I would highly recommend that you go and check out episodes one and two. And what have they been?
1: They have been school days mm-hmm. and Dan Lassac. So two two fruitful topics. But so is this week's one, which is playing live because there's yeah, there's a lot to talk about. There's been some varied experiences, mm-hmm. some mad and a amazing moments. But also, it's occurred to me three episodes in. I mean, we should get a little plug-in for our other podcasts. Obviously, I've got distraction pieces, but I mean, you've got, right about? it's just interviews and that with oh. um, loads of really cool people. Who like? Have you heard of S- Stephen Fry? Oh, yeah, Are yeah. Are familiar with M- Mary J. Blige?
2: Yep. Uh, L-
1: Louis Theroux, ring any
2: bells? See the dancer that was on <laughs> Pineapple Dance Studios. <laughs> That's the one.
1: Yeah. Had a few people on, but you've got, Hardcore listing with yes. Chris Glasson, where a lot of people will know you from already, which is top fives about anything and everything. And you've had some amazing guests on there, but you also do a lot of amazing episodes of just the two of you. Mm. And you've got Off the Beaten Track, which is your music podcast, which on versions of it, kind of has elements of talking about live and talking about That's right. being at gigs and mm. things like that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, we, we, we do sort of some little standalone episodes sometimes. If I've had a guest that, you know, really enjoyed the experience of us to come back on, sometimes I'll get them back on and we'll talk about But obviously, if they're a musician, talking about playing live, talking about first gigs and things mm. like that. So uh, you've you've been kind enough to come yeah. on and do that as well. And uh, go check out Distraction Pieces Hardcore Listing. And off the beaten track, I could list another thirty-five podcasts that I do, but um we're not here for them. Stu's got a lot of podcasts, but yeah, we're here for another one. And
1: l- 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 let you know, this is series one. It's a five-part series, so we're we're approaching the halfway mark. Yeah, midway through this conversation, it'll be the halfway mark, mm. and then when we pop up at the end for the outro, we're over halfway through the series. That's happened quickly. Let's go. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But let's, well, let's jump into it. But we're going to, as I said, episodes four and five are still to come. Episode four is about divorce Mm -hmm. and episode five is about acting. Mm. So, yeah, it it was important, I think, when we were planning the topics to get a good mixture of just personal life stories, personal life topics and career stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, onto the career stuff we're playing live. Let's... Hear all of my embarrassing moments, I guess. Yes,
0: please.
2: The first concert you saw, or first live experience you saw, and can you remember how that made you feel?
1: So we w- we would have gone to some of the like the you no know, when Capital FM used to do gigs or festivals. They used to do festivals of just pop acts. Yeah, Radio whatever,
2: One used to do the Radio One Roadshow. Yeah,
1: it was like that, but there was a Capital version as well, mm-hmm. I think. And I remember going to one or two of them, and it'd be literally people coming out to do their one. Hit. Pop here. I'm trying to think of, of, of what some of them were. I've got one really clear in my head, but I've, I can clearly think of the vibe of it and the, the visual, but I can't can't place it. So it was kind of the Charles and Eddie. I, yeah, Would I Lie to You? Was that Charles and Eddie? Yeah, what a tune. Yeah. I remember seeing that live as a kid. I mm. remember my brother had tickets. My brother and my mum had tickets to go and see Michael Jackson. Wow. I think they went and I think they saw him, but maybe it was cancelled. Yeah, it was cancelled and then rescheduled. Mm. So I was too young. But first proper live gigs. So I was 13 or 14 like when I started going to gigs and Mm. gigs were everything. As we've discussed in previous episodes, I never had girlfriends. I never had relationships, but I had gigs. And I remember the same week I went to see the Rolling Stones on the Voodoo Lounge Tour and Offspring on the Smash Tour. Stones at Wembley, Offspring at Brixton. Such different gigs, but such good gigs. And yeah, that was it. I'd I'd be going to gigs every weekend or two. Me, Mark Irvine and Martin Birmingham. Then Daniel Luzi had come along. And it was just, yeah, gigs were everything. I loved it. I loved crowd surfing, stage diving, everything, just getting involved. All All these little punk gigs. And again, you can look back at your green days and your offsprings and turn your nose up a bit. But what a period that was. If you were that age and how exciting that was with... All of those bands, your Rancids, all that, but then all the California bands and stuff that came off the off the, the back of that, all your ska bands that were touring, the UK bands who would support everyone. Just going to gigs was just, yeah, it was absolutely everything. I remember at about the age of 13 going along with my dad to pick my brother up from a Smashing Pumpkins gig mm. and s- s- seeing it all from the outside and mm. being like, I want to be old enough to be, yeah. to be going into that. And then... I remember Ian had tickets for that last Nirvana tour. Mm -hmm. That never happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being, again, not being a rich family, it being, you you can have a refund, you've just got to send your ticket back. Mm -hmm. And it being that that battle of, do we want our 12 quid, or do we want to keep the ticket of what would have been the last ever Nirvana tour? Yeah. So I remember, yeah, I remember the feeling of it coming from voyeuristically. Yeah. Watching my brother go to gigs and be involved in gigs and not being there. Yeah. And local gigs, mates. Yeah. Serious pr- problem at the, at the Grace C- Civic on an all day where my mate Andy's band Big Red were opening. Yeah. The things like that were probably, I guess, yeah, early because it was before I was at college. Yeah. So it would have been early days of going to gigs. Yeah. Loved all of it, mate. Yeah. Loved all of it. It was so, so exciting, regardless of the quality.
2: Did you ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's more directed at me not the smashing pumpkins yeah, right Yeah uh, So all of them gigs that you mentioned there's a lot of energy involved in all of them shows yeah. and as as a yeah. as a teen like that's what you want isn't it you know yeah. you don't want to be sitting down watching Leonard Cohen you want to be losing your mind at a green day gig don't you which 100%. is which is where we at but uh, you know seeing all that energy coming off the stage and, and obviously the crowds always West Right back did you ever have any desire at that point to want to perform on a stage? Mm-hmm. That's why I got like a guitar and barely
1: uh, learned it. Had lessons of, of Joe Hymas, and yeah. legend, J- yeah, J- Joe Hymus, absolute legend of, of the Towngate, yeah. putting on events. And Hayseed Dixie now. Hayseed Dixie, yep. Yeah. Mm. Had guitar lessons. I wanted to be in a band. Me and my mate Rick started a band called Lardass. We had various different leads... Singers, Tom was a lead s- singer at some point. I was a lead singer, Andy was lead singer. We never wrote any songs or did anything. We were part responsible for the L- lunar Club closing down because, again, I'd read loads of punk books and I'd read Malcolm McLaren, so it's all about m- marketing. Mm-hmm. So I got us booked. Uh, um What was the one in South End at the end? The one, the, Curz- the Curzon? Is it the Curzon?
2: No, you had the Esplanade, you had Chinnery's.
1: Wasn't either of them.
2: Uh in your club Riga. Maybe Cl- club there was Riga. the Kurzel. Yeah, the Kurzel. That's mm.
1: they had they had some kind of live yeah. gigs in the Curzel. So I got I got Lardass booked f- for a gig there, and I got the, the the South End Echo or whatever where they had the list in and it yeah. said this band, this band, and supported by the appallingly monikered Lardass. Mm. they all got that cut out somewhere. And we got booked at the Luna Club to support someone associated with with you so it was I reckon it was after what was the band you were in that did really good with the twins Lilo Lilo after Lilo someone from Lilo had enough, had their next band and it was going to be the next thing right I'm sure they did and we were booked to support them but obviously we didn't really exist yeah. so, so we never turned up
2: that band was the somethings the somethings that's that, it that was the rest of serious problem not Lilo yeah.
1: oh right yeah. right yeah so that gig happened and no one turned up. One of the bands didn't even t- turn up and they said, right, we're calling it a day on the Lunar Club. <laughs> and that was, again, that was just me going, market, market, market. We're getting yeah. our name in, in magazines. Yeah. We didn't have any songs. Yeah. Um, me and Rick would meet up and play for fun, loving criminal songs, green day songs, all sorts of stuff in the garage. But we hadn't written anything, hadn't done anything. but I was like, lard ass is a good name. Yeah. In, in in that era of punk bands, it was a good name. It that's stood a out. Name. But that's all we had. So yeah, th- 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 there was that. And there was, again, as we touched upon in another episode, there was many other f- f- fictional bands. Yeah. Pretending I'm in a band called Anti-Penultimate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the first band I was properly in was a covers band. And that was, that gave me my first experiences on stage. So... I was working at H&V. So this Why will be, do I
2: not know this?
1: This will be 2002 kind of era. And me and a few of the others of the HMV lot would just meet up at a practice studio in the Barter Estate yeah. in Tilbury. And we'd just m- meet up and jam. And we'd do covers. I played bass because the, the two people, two of the other members of the band were really good guitarists. And yeah. I was a shit guitarist. I was like, I'll do bass then. R- R- Ross Lawson would come, who ended up doing all the instruments on No Commercial breaks he'd come he was a multi-instrumentalist he'd play guitar he'd play keys he'd play sax all sorts of stuff and we'd just we'd pootle about and do covers and it was really good fun gay bar
2: yeah
1: um by electric six it was that era we'd we'd cover a lot of songs of that indie thing but then also a bit of doors a bit of hendrix yeah things like that hey joe as a a bassist was just the most fun thing to to riff on because we'd we'd if the singer hadn't turned up yet, we'd, we'd just start playing about with that. Yeah. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 ding. And just so good to just loop round and b- yeah, yeah, yeah. B- build up.
2: What were um, you called?
1: Well, we needed a name when we got booked for a gig at um, the Fat Surfer. Right. And it was, we we were called R- R- Royce and the Motherfucking Posers. Because <laughs> Ross Lawson, we called him, we decided he'll be R- Royce and yeah. the Motherfucking Posers. Dave Henley was the lead singer and the talented yeah. person in the group. Essentially, he was in loads of local mm-hmm. bands at that point over the years. I proper idolised him. In my years of college, yeah. he was in a band and he'd get the bus to school mm-hmm. and he had green hair and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, too nervous mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to be doing any of that. So, 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 so he was the talented one. I said, I'd play play bass. When we did Five to One by the Doors, I'd mm-hmm. sing that. And we got asked to do this gig. And we're like, all right, let's do it. Let's do a gig. That'll be a laugh. Was you nervous? Yeah, really nervous. I shit myself. And then Dave, who's played tons of gigs, done tons of stuff, said, oh, we'll start with five to one. So I'm like, oh, we're starting with me playing bass and singing. And we did that and it went off. It was really good. We did the whole gig. People were losing their shit. Like, genuinely, I was like, fucking hell. This is amazing. People yeah. going absolutely nuts. We had to do an encore. It was like, we hadn't planned an encore, but we had, I think it might have been gay bar that we hadn't yeah. put in our set list. That went off. I'm trying to think of other songs. It was all that kind of era. There would have been a Stroke song in there yeah. and all that kind of thing. And It was fucking cool, man. Like, it proper, as I said, the reaction was huge. People were really into it. And I've seen tons of bands at the Lunar Club, uh, uh, at the Lunar Club and at the Fat Surfer, that 50-50. Yeah. People will not be giving any reaction. They'll yeah, be yeah, playing yeah. their hearts out and people will just be talking or trying to pull or whatever. Yeah. But we had people actually come on. To, and again, as someone who's promoted there, yeah. who did promote there for many years, you'll know that people will often... St- Around the edges. Oh, always. Yeah. Um, we had people on the on the dance floor from the first song, and they yeah. were dancing and enjoying it, and it was cool. And they asked us to come back and do their. They had like a, a Boxing Day gig or something. Right. So it was a, it was some kind of in between Christmas and New Year gig, and it was their big one. And they were like, "Can you headline this?" I think we weren't headlining the first one actually. I think yeah. we just played, but we stole the show because again, it's familiar songs, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. You got some random local band who are yeah. really good playing their own really good songs. It's not the same as hearing mm-hmm. a Doors song or, or a Jimi Hendrix song. You like instantly okay. go, this is easy. This is great. So, so yeah, we're, we were like, oh, we've got our second gig. This yeah. is going to be fucking cool. And then we got there, and three of my exes, I think, were there.
2: <laughs> um, and I
1: was like, oh. Well, they'd heard
2: you'd become a superstar and like one of the sort of now one of the piece.
1: Probably not, but, but we're there. <laughs> So me and the drummer M- M- Mitch, I think he'd had a breakup or something at that point as well, or something like that. We just got hammered, right? And Gareth as well, who was the guitarist, again really talented. Me and Mitch weren't talented. Greatest respect to Mitch. He'd learnt mm. drums for this, basically. Mm. <laughs> I'd learnt bass for this, so yeah. we knew these songs, and that was it. There would be no, I'll, 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 let's riff or let's knock something out. I still don't know what any of the notes are or anything like that. Yeah. I could play what I was. I'd learnt. Yeah, that was it despite the amazing lessons from Joe Hymas, it did not go in. So I got hammered. Mitch got hammered. G- G- Gareth got quite hammered. Dave had a few drinks, but he's talented. You've got to remember yeah. that Dave and Gareth are talented. Yeah, <laughs> so, so they can, can pull it off drunk. I got up there, couldn't remember anything. The first song we're doing, I'm playing it wrong. I'm like, oh, it's, it's bass. And then I suddenly decided about halfway I was like, as it's bass, it's probably better to just not play anything than to play it wrong. Good idea. So, uh, so I start miming.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> so I'm pretending. Just closing my eyes, having a little, trying to not trying to not show how nervous and awkward I am. Yeah. Again, I've had one experience of ever being on stage, and yeah. it was like the fucking Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Girls were screaming. Everyone was going nuts. Experience number two, very much not that. Yeah. So I'm just pretending. And one of the people from HMV, I remember, Tr- a Tr- a Tracy Ann was in the front row, clearly seeing that me and Mitch are struggling. I remember her shouting, be sexy, be sexy. (laughs) I'm like, So I don't don't know how I just continue to kind of mind, but try and look a bit cool with it. Oh God. (laughs) Again, poor Dave. He's having to hold this together. Yeah. And it's the bass and the drums. It's the rhythm section, mate. The rhythm section is the key bit. The guitarists can't save that. No. So yeah, we ended up coming off after, I think three songs, maybe four songs and we're playing all good. Yeah. Or again, I'm faking it. And then Dave goes, All right, cheers night. And we walk off and we're like we're halfway th- through our set and we go off. And this is our drunk and I'm like, I don't take my my, my base off you yet. I'm like, Are we doing the encore? Or <laughs> <God>. <laughs> just walked off halfway through. So I had the highs and lows really early on of mm. of, of of live. Yeah. And kind of that's the beauty of it in a way, because that's the birth of I saw enough to want it. Mm. if you know what I mean. I've seen the really positive side of this can be glorious mm. and I've seen the horrible side of this can be the worst thing in the world. This yeah. can be absolute hell. So yeah, that was uh, Roy Hiller and the motherfucking Posers was my first experience of these things. Dave and Gareth and a few of the other, I think it was only them two from the band, went on to do a band called White Girl who mm. were really good and they kind of started to blow up a bit and it, it never really happened but I remember I had far more fun attending their gigs <laughs> and being part of it. I was like, oh, my place is on this side. Yeah. That was nice. That one off was a an anomaly, but I'm better on this side. Just having a drink, enjoying the bands yeah. and championing them. Yeah.
2: And it's interesting. Obviously we're going to talk about various live experiences that you that you've had in your in your career in music, starting with a band and, and almost finishing uh back yeah. up in a band. But I wanna then sort of strip it down now for, for the next bit and and ask about those Early spoken word shows, and and thinking, okay, right, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to write, and what me, you know, by what means am I going to get this across? And so, was there ever, even back then, a kind of should I start a band with this, or was it I'm going to just test this out on a spoken word scene? Because for me, and you know, being sort of in and around the circles of people that you will you will, you will be around at that time point in your life, spoken word wasn't something that was happening around. It where we no, lived. Not like, at all. And so how did how did that turn into something that you, so, you become a, a, an integral part of that scene? And we should mention that at some point we'll do an episode talking about that scene.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I've got kind of a stock interview answer to this, mm-hmm. and it is that I wanted to do spoken word because you live and die on your own, own merits. Mm-hmm. You've not, again, we've all been in bands where the, the drummer isn't as committed and they're not turning up to practice. Mm-hmm. And you can fail, but you can... In the back of your mind, go: it's the it's the drummer's fault, or the the bassist isn't into it, or whatever. I didn't want to have anyone else to blame other than myself if it doesn't work. But the realization from this conversation now is more: I didn't want to be the one to blame for a for a band yeah. failing because that's genuinely it. In the other in the other bands I was in, I was the weak point. Yeah. So doing the spoken word things, like right, if this is shit, I'm only ruining my own. Yeah. career and my own chances if i'm in a band i'm ruining everyone's
2: I, I get what you're saying but also when you're in a band and if if something doesn't quite go to plan it's not always going to be on you but yeah. you've also you've got a gang with you yeah and to walk out on stage on your own you, you know you are putting yourself out there and that's a brave thing to do and and you've got a stammer yeah yeah. and, yeah. and you're basically then going to go and Publicly talk on your own—that to me, that's a brave move. And like, so them early spoken word shows. I don't know how much consideration you gave your stammer ahead of that. But what I I want you to talk me through some of them early spoken word shows. And 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 did you have a a pre? I don't know if you call it they gigs when you do spoken word. They call gigs. (laughs) Did you did you have a lot of a a pre gig routine?
1: Um, Well, again. That's where it's kind of interesting. As someone who you know, at this point in my life, overthinks everything so much. Mm. So many of the brave moments in my life are just me underthinking. I didn't think about it. And so kind of before those spoken word gigs was the Relying on the Kindness of Strangers tour, which I did with Chris Mm -hmm. a lot of it. So. I decided to get in a van with Chris and tour around the country just playing on street corners if there was open mics going and doing
2: them. So that was before the Spoken word shows? That was before I'd done anything. And again, right. it's
1: mind-blowing now because I look back and it didn't cr- cross my mind, but I quit my job and it was a career at that point. I'd been working in h and f- f- for five years and yeah. I've been c- climbing the ladder as such. As much as people turn their nose up as re- at retail... I enjoyed it. I met I mm. made some good good mates and I was making a career of it. So I quit that to go and do music without even thinking about the fact I don't know if I can do this. Mm. And as I've said before, I credit Chris for being a key part in that. Because I remember getting to that first performance and my ass going, mm. <laughs> like completely going, Oh, maybe I'll leave this. But because Chris was there going, Well, go on in. Like we've we've driven up here.
2: Mm.
1: You're gonna, gonna do it. And I did it. And then I did more, and these were all outside, which meant, and they were up north, most of them. So, we were essentially
2: mid- playing to queues outside gigs.
1: Queues outside gigs. The first ever one was outside a DJ Shadow album playback at his label. So, yeah. at Universal or wherever it was, there's a queue there. I was like, I'll do a gig. Then, that same night, we went and did it outside the Buck 65 gig at the Barfly. And in that queue was a Buddy Peace. And Orpheus, Orpheus ended up producing a beat on mm-hmm. Distraction Pieces, the album, Buddy Piece produces yeah. Distraction Pieces and this podcast. Mm. So hadn't met, it was just pure chance. Yeah. That was the first impression. But they were just the two the two London ones. I think we might have done Atmosphere a couple of weeks later, but then we got in the, the van and went m- Midlands. And the plan there was to play on st- 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 street corners. Th- those two had happened because by chance we were on our way out and we were like, oh, there's some gigs in town, well, let's go there. We got into the Midlands or wherever else. Playing on street corners ain't the one. No yeah. one gives a shit, yeah. um, particularly for spoken word. Yeah, um, I'd either be doing it a cappella or I'd have the beats on a tape deck or I'd beatbox into a loop pedal and rap over the top. So all good fun, but no one's interested. So yeah, it was then that we started to get to each town, grab an enemy or something, or not even buy it. We'd go into a shop and look at local mm. gig listings and go and play outside other people's gigs. So we played outside. Just tons of different bands and DJs. I remember Mr. Scruff one. I think that was in Oxford. So we were on yeah. our way out then.
2: Have you met any of these artists since? And then said, I started off gigging outside your gigs.
1: I met Buck, but didn't really talk You've about had it. Shadow on the podcast, I had obviously. Shadow on the podcast. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned it to yeah. him.
2: Yeah. Oh, you should have, man. Yeah,
1: I really should have. Or <laughs> well, maybe I did. I can't remember, but I don't think I did. But yeah, so there was a load of that. And that kind of leads back to those spoken word gigs was it was a fucking breeze after that. Yeah. After playing in Manchester Town Centre on the day of an England game that's being played at Old Trafford.
2: Yeah, that's a baptism of fire, <laughs> isn't it?
1: <laughs> it was rough, mate. So we were like, yeah, that ain't working. And we moved on to Leeds as if we wanted a friendlier yeah. place to go and play. Yeah. <laughs> so we did, yeah, did loads of them. And yeah, I said, that meant that going and playing spoken word gigs where they're expecting a gig yeah. and they want to see you do stuff. But also I think subconsciously those R- 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 Roystonilla Danilo the, and the motherfucking Poses gigs play into it. Yeah. Because although I didn't know if I could play live, I'd fucking rehearse the fuck out of all of it. I yeah. knew all of it. So it meant that when I was turning up at these gigs, like no one at that sh- sh- Shadow album playback thought that was my first gig. Yeah. No one at Buck 65. And then we did all these ones up north. And the idea was, I've got my suit on. I've got my tracker cap on. Or at least my shirt and tie and my tracker mm. cap. I've got my big beard. I've got my CDs. I've pressed my CDs. The idea was they're going to assume I'm big down south. Yeah. Because I knew my shit. Like, it was a polished show. I didn't know if it was good. Mm. That's the bit that I still maintain is the biggest mistake mm. <laughs> I could have done. But I knew I knew it. And I know I could perform it well. I, I wasn't going to be reading off paper or a yeah. phone, I was going to be getting there and smashing it and performing it, not just re- reciting poems. I was going to be performing. And that and that happened on all these street corners outside all these gigs. So it meant that when I got back to do the spoken word scene in London and in South End, I was, I was polished, man. Yeah. And particularly open mics. Open mics, everyone is getting up and they're mumbling and they've not prepared yeah. any stage. Do people get heckled
2: like at them sort of gigs? it a, a, a pretty... Like, pretty, kind normally crab. pretty
1: kind and chill open mm. mics in particular everyone's just just waiting for their go mm. it's just, they're not going to be horrible to you because they've got mm. to get up in a minute Yeah, but with rap and spoken word I'd been to a load of, of, of rap gigs in that era that had been r- r- rubbish because rap particularly in the UK had come up in the studio mm. hadn't come up on a live scene or come up as behind decks yeah. being an MC not a, a, a live show sure. but I'd grown up as we've discussed going to punk gigs. Mm. So I was like, no, I want to have impact. I want to hit stuff. I want to have passion, aggression if needed. Mm. And it meant, I think I made some, some big impacts in those early Mm. scenes. Like I got to a really good standing in the spoken word scene Mm. within a few months of performing. Yeah. Because everyone assumed I'd been around for ages. I probably did open mics for a few weeks and then I was getting booked for gigs and you can be on the open mic circuit for years, but because I was getting up there and I said it's pure set and setting the fact that everyone else is getting up nervously and going I want to try a poem for the first time holding it in their hand and often doing some amazing stuff it's going to make me look even better when I'm getting up Yeah, and I know it inside and out even if I've got a story that goes into it I know I know my five minutes mm. and yeah it just it felt like a breeze because yeah. of that, that baptism of fire of being on street corners yeah. um, on that tour though before getting back I played Dan Lassac booked me for my first ever gig, yeah. and that's where our kind of—I knew him from, from HMV days again, as we've discussed, and we've discussed the gig um, on the Dan Lassac episode. But yeah, that was where that happened. So that was yeah. all within the first two weeks yeah. of ever doing anything as Scroobius Pip on stage. You no, know?
2: it's a weird one. I mean, we go into quite a lot of the, 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 the you know, the, how a lot of the stuff you just mentioned with Dan come about on, yeah. on, on that episode, but yeah. there's. There's some things that I want to sort of... When you got with Dan uh, and, and started making music, was live always going to happen?
1: Yeah, I think so. Or was so. it going to be a studio or project? It was always going to happen as soon as the songs were out there. Yeah. Like As we've touched on, Dan and Pip was never a planned thing. Yeah. We did some remixes and stuff and it blew up. But that meant that that had an interesting influence on the live side of things because it meant that we would play into... The decent-sized crowds, number one, before I knew the lyrics to half the songs. Yeah. And we'd get praised for my theatrics on yeah. stage. Part of that was I had a big Bible yeah. that I was I was reading the commandments out of. It's because I didn't know thou shalt. Yeah. And a letter from God to man. I'd get a letter out and say, this is a letter from God to man, and then I'd read it. Yeah. But it'd get more performative and more yeah, yeah, anxious yeah. and aggressive and angry in places. But that was, again, that wasn't miming. Yeah. I was reading that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know the lyrics. And there was a few like that. I on on our first headline tour, I had one for, for Tommy C. I did it as kind of a news reporter. I'd be behind a desk and we had Jim, Sam and Jim had rigged up a camera so it could be on the TV behind us. So I'd be on the TV and at the desk. Yeah. And that was because it, again it was another song we had to quickly get an album out somewhere because we had these gigs and we had this 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 audience. So I'd do that as a, a news reader, so I could have the lyrics in front of me because I hadn't learned them. So, yeah, it's weird. A, a lot of the th- uh, theatrics that we got n- known for were a method to get them done, yeah. but it also meant that the, that the other stuff I knew well enough to really smash it out, so you wouldn't notice. Yeah, you you wouldn't assume. Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. I've I've covered it up. Yeah. You know, After talking about nervous people with the lyrics in front of them, it's like right, no, you dress that up and make it seem like it's a. It's a strength rather than
2: a weakness. I was I was going to ask, sort of talk about like the the, the gigs in in the, the the initial boom of hype that come with that mm. show, and I, I know we talk about that quite a bit on on Dan's episode. But what I, I, I want to talk about in regards to them live shows is one of the things, and you know, you you you've mentioned there, and, and I don't think in my mind that cheapens anything whatsoever. That you you know, if you was reading it for that gig, mm. if that enabled you to to do you know, letter from God with that much more. Venom and spire yeah, yeah, and passion, yeah, yeah. then 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 that's that's performance. And so many of them songs, Tommy, saying that that you you you've mentioned. Of I don't need to tell you the amount of people that have been affected by yeah, them man. songs and have probably reached out and sent you messages over yeah. the years and things like that. That sort of that weight that them songs have with so many people. Had did did you ever carry that weight when you'd walk on stage and know that them people were out there and them words that you're saying have you know, directly affected them and, and, and being part of their life. And
1: I think, yeah, I think weirdly I carried it as a responsibility. Like there was definitely a period of me and Dan where he wanted to play less of the the miserable songs yeah. of the heavy songs. But for me, it was like, right, we can't talk about this stuff on the album. Cause again, at that point, particularly the, anything about suicide yeah. and death at that point, you weren't getting that addressed in music much. Yeah. So I was like, we can't have that on the album, and then live be the the fun party band. Yeah. We have to have that variation. And again, I'd try and I'd add weird theatrics. Again, on that first tour, I used to do a bit that Dan hated on this on this one song that I'd nicked off a Russian clown, Slava Slava Snow Show. He'd do a thing where there's a. You love that, didn't you? Yeah, I really do. Love it's amazing. It's it's honestly the best consistently the best live experience i've ever had yeah um, and i've had sex um <laughs> multiple times um, but he'd, he'd do a thing where there's a coat hanger with a long coat on it on a on a hat stand yeah. and there's a hat and at some point he'll slip his hand into the arm and it will seem like it's brought to life because the yeah. hat is just in the position to be the head and then the arm will, will grab him and hug him and all that and i'd i rip that off i'd Hold a sign up to say this is from yeah Flavopolin Lineak. Um, I can't remember. Dan hated that arty shit <laughs> because again, Dan came from the dance music scene, yeah, so cool. he's, he yeah. wants to get to the songs that bang mm. and all this. And I'm going, let's do this one where I'm, I'm, I'm having a deep emotional moment with yeah. a
2: coat. But well, them opposite perspectives always bring out the best in both, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Again, I enjoyed all of that. I wanted, I always wanted to try and bring unusual things because of having a varied. T- t- taste in live stuff yeah. you know I did go to a lot of different things so I didn't want to just be MC and DJ yeah. like it's why Dan would do everything actually live again yeah. I'm sure we touch on sometimes to his detriment he'd give himself too much to do because he was yeah. paranoid that people think he's back there just yeah. pr- pressing play and then checking his emails yeah. so yeah there was it was important to give any song the weight it deserved if yeah. you know what I mean particularly songs that are going to have that emotional attachment a Magician's Assistant was one that for years Dan wanted to drop and he changed the beat numerous times to make it work more for him live. Mm-hmm. But for me, that was one that was like, no, I need to have that in there because we great. need to show that we can talk about these yeah. things and it can be in a room full of people. It's not our secret. It's yeah. not only on the album when we listen to it at home and it's a secret, but yeah. when we're out in public, we'll, no, we don't talk about yeah. stuff like that. It was like, no, we need to have that at the gig. And we'll again, we'd always plan the set list out so we bring things back up we'd end on letter from god to man and dan cutting it up and it mm. so you end on a party and the idea was we send them out beaming mm. and then maybe on the train home they're like how about that one about su- suicide man mm. and and you know there might be these heavier things that they end up discussing on the way home which sounds really controlling and manipulative or over the top but i liked the idea of coming away from the gig and it being more than just oh that was a laugh
2: yeah, cool. You know, and it can
1: just be a laugh. For 90% of people, it would have just been, no, oh, that was mad. Yeah. I crowd surfed, I did this, I did that. But it was important to have those bits that, that maybe give you more to connect
0: to and think about. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
2: did you form routines? So tell me about like literally from arriving at a venue to sound check to what you do pre walkout and post gig. You know what was it with Dan without Dan? Like
1: yeah, I mean my clearest memories of pre gig are always with Dan and with B Dolan. So B Dolan supported us on numerous mm-hmm. tours. He bought the art of screaming or something into our life, right. which was like a DVD. That a lot of metal bands used. And it was some w- 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 woman doing a vocal warm up. And it was stupid and ridiculous. In hindsight, I don't think it helped me at all.
2: Mm. <laughs> I think. Sounds horrid.
1: It was really funny. It's like me, 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 like all that kind of thing. <laughs> and me and Dolan would be doing it and, cr- and cracking up. But I didn't have that much of a process. So I would get there, we'll sound check. Again, you know how organized I am. And I, I, I don't want things to be a rush. And also, I always. Uh, we wanted our support acts to have time mm-hmm. to have a proper sound check because if things are running late, it's always at their cost, mm-hmm. and we've been that support band before, yeah. where it's like you've you, you can sound check now, doors open in ten, you're on in thirty. Yeah, you know that kind of horrible thing of right, that's rough. So we wanted that, but so with sound check, I'd often go for a bit of a walk around a town. You know, I'm a weirdo, I like that. Mm-hmm. But pre gig, either we'd just be hanging out and chatting, p- pissing about. Join the support act. Again, mm-hmm. we brought people like Dolan and K Tempest mm-hmm. and people like that on, on tour with us. So mm-hmm. we'd normally have stuff that we, is going to fire us up regardless because yeah. they're really good live acts. But if not, I know there was periods where I'd listen, i put my headphones on and put on some, some gl- glass drawer and at the drive-in were quite, a quite mm-hmm. go-to stuff because they really go back to my aggressive angsty yeah. kind of teen days and fire you up. But particularly with the Dan act stuff, We'd either open with the beat them heart skipped or stunner. Yeah. So they were ones that punched the audience in the yeah. face instantly. So you get that that, that energy. Yeah. I remember when I was doing my Edinburgh fringe run, the first gig I did, I was like, right, I need to figure out a process because yeah. I didn't have the injection of energy that comes yeah. from Dan dropping a beat and, and the ram. crowd going mad. Yeah. So I shared a venue with Angelos. Yeah. And with. John Sh- Shuttleworth, yeah, two veterans, yeah, legend. of the fringe and all that, and they were b- b- both doing new characters, yeah. The, if they'd finish their gig and come back t- to the cupboard t- 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 dressing room. Yeah, there'd be some bearded poet in there doing push-ups and s- sit-ups because <laughs> I was trying to get my energy out, just trying yeah. to get my heart rate, or jogging on the spot. Because again, I said I, I did that first one, and when I was doing the live band stuff. We'd always open with Intradiction, which was the biggest song off that record. It was a big thing for me and Dan as well. I was always like, don't save the biggest song till the end. Mm. Everyone's knackered at the end. And that came Mm. because I went to see Public Enemy, though it takes a nation of millions, Mm. in order at Brixton, which means they start with their biggest song. And the energy, I've never seen a room explode like that. Again, you'll normally start with a decent-sized song, but the big one comes yeah. later on yeah. to get that biggest song at the start when everyone's waiting and got that anticipation I was like that's how we do it live so Beat Them A Heart Skipped and Donna uh, were always big singles of, uh, for me and Dan and introduction was the biggest solo single I've had and we'd open with that every time because it would just make people fucking explode and then it's our job to keep that going yeah. it's our job to keep that energy up and to keep that yeah. that vibe in the room it's good to put pr- pr- pressure on yourselves like that
2: Those early gigs with Dan and first tours, I remember coming to see one of them, and I remember my mate Mark uh, eating all your rider. Um, Your rider back then seemed to be essentially sweets.
1: Sweets and crisps. How bad
2: and unhealthy was your rider then compared to maybe what your your, your last one was?
1: It's a mix because riders are quite... Standard
2: at Mm. that level. Like, it's hard to
1: get things other than here's some snacks, here's here's some some meat and some bread and some beers. So I definitely found in the later end of my career where I was trying to just get, like, (laughs) some elderflower press. Oh,
2: for fuck's (laughs) sake.
1: That was so hard to get. And in my mind, I'm like, that's cheaper than getting a six-pack of fucking Red Stripe. But it was so hard to make these small demands. So, yeah, I don't think particularly our rider was particularly steered towards us but yeah there would be sweets and crisps because me and Dan would both just I wouldn't eat a lot before a gig but maybe if I was some sugary sweets are going to do me me better than a bread roll yeah you you know see I guess it varied a bit but again I was also that annoying prick who so I turned 30 when whilst we were touring I guess Mm. in that touring era and I was aware that my metabolism isn't going to Look after me forever, so, so I would bring resistance bands on tour oh, and stuff like that, and I'd just be doing little workouts and little exercise stuff. Because as you say, it's Is not you a, or you and Dan, just me, <laughs> and it, on 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 the stuff with the band as well. Like yeah. sometimes the, the rest of the, the lads would want to do stuff, but I'd have a skipping rope, yeah. all sorts of stuff. Because yeah, all joking aside, it can be a really unhealthy, of, oh God, of course, thing. And I realised that particularly at that point again, I'm on the band stuff more now, but I'm with Dan. I'd drink a bottle of rosé on stage mm. and I'd get through most of that bottle each night. If we're doing six gigs a week, I'm drinking six bottles of rosé a week. Mm. That's not great. No. That's not fantastic. And there was no drinking problem. I'm lucky I've never struggled with anything there. The adrenaline normally meant I was barely getting a buzz mm. from it. It was maybe just levelling things out a bit. Yeah. But, Yeah. You're also, you're coming off stage when any healthy food options aren't an, aren't a choice. How so you get in a, gr- a greasy pizza or whatever mm. in your hotel room at night. So, so yeah, weirdly, I added fitness stuff into the touring yeah. life to try and go, right,
2: let's try not to die. <laughs> and also, if you put in a lot of, as you did, uh, you know, a lot of energy into your live shows, you have to be fight fit to do that anyway. That was like. it as
1: well. I was, as I touched upon early on, I was like, right, I need to approach these like, punk gigs I want to mm. be going 100 miles an hour I want to be jumping in the crowd crowd yeah. surfing stage diving all of this stuff and that will knacker you mm. again I know I've got older but I genuinely think if I'd got into fitness a bit earlier I would have been in amazing shape then because mm. I was doing an hour to 90 minutes of cardio every night Yeah, because doing all that running around and and again that there was also an element particularly before I was doing stuff with a band that I was like well this is ju- just me and Dan yeah we were pressured at points to add a band as we're getting in bigger and bigger venues, but we were adamant. Dan doesn't get a band in to write the album. Yeah. So we shouldn't have one for live.
2: And we couldn't it's, add that much. And financially, it doesn't make sense. Financially, it doesn't sense. make sense. have
1: a session musicians or whatever. So yeah, Dan was always, as I said, Dan would always make sure he's doing loads live, but I was also aware that I've got to fill this stage. Yeah. Like, we can't afford to bring a full... Tour backdrop, or what? Like, like, we had different things over different tours. Mm. But the thing to me was, I don't want this stage to, to look too big for us. Mm. So I would be constantly side to side, back, forward, in the crowd, yeah. going through the crowd, rapping, c- coming back over the barrier, climb up on stage, finish off the song.
0: It was energetic.
1: Yeah. Um, and that was a conscious cho- a choice, I guess. That was really, I always remember when Dan Hardy, a, 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 Came to see me and Dan play in Nottingham um, at Rescue Rooms. And Dan Hardy, MMA legend, Mm. I was a big fan of him. Mm. We'd met a couple of times at UFC events. I was like, I'll come to my gig, you'll enjoy it. But knowing Dan was a punk before that gig started, I was like, I need to impress Dan. And the speed with which I was fucking launching myself into the crowd yeah. and getting back on stage and finishing the song and not missing a beat. I've heard him talk on numerous different things about Pip's fucking mental life. He's a lunatic, and that was <laughs> again. It, it, it was. It, it, I'd always be rowdy, but I remember that one specifically. I remember doing a on a bit where Dan cuts it up in the middle of a song. I remember crowd surfing all the way to the bar, getting a shot, doing a shot on top of the crowd. Then crowd surfing back exactly in time for the song to kick in again Wonderful. and finishing it off and feeling like a fucking a lunatic.
2: As, as the sort of the, the, the sort of size a band grew and grew and grew, and you end up, you know, playing ridiculously big shows. You yeah, you end yeah. up playing all, all the, the the huge festivals, and you know, you, some some of them shows that you know you've done with um, was Billy Bragg and yeah, Coco. Uh, what was the Wembley Arena?
1: Wembley with yeah with Frank Frank. Turner yeah
2: like you know when you're walking out uh, on to crowds like that and the crowds that you would have played to at the festivals and things like that like tell me did you have a a kind of grip on the nerves? Team no nerves, mate. Again, I I I don't think I talked to
1: self-esteem about this. I did a podcast recently with self-esteem, and I'd heard them speak on another podcast about not getting nervous. I had that for my whole music career. I didn't really get nervous. The most nervous I've been was when we were doing a cover of a Billy Bragg song with Billy Bragg. yeah, That got me a bit, and that was more in the sound check. I was like, I'm looking across, and I'm, like, I'm about to sing the opening verse with Billy Bragg B- playing yeah. it on guitar. This is weird. And excellent. And excellent. But, but, but other than that, no. Nah, no nerves. It was a breeze. It was always ex- ex- exciting. Um, I remember that Wembley gig being, my main thought was, right, I need to get back and DJ at Lizard's. Because we had the club night on that's that night. That's right. That's so, right. so I left Wembley, came and DJed at, at, at Lizards while F- Frank was on.
2: <laughs> so Frank was kind enough. So you'd done your piece and then, then fucked off. Didn't you sing a song about that? Yeah. 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 Rude, isn't it? Done <laughs> like um, your shitty little gig. Yeah. And yeah. then fucked off of Frank.
1: <laughs> yeah. I watched a, a bit of Frank and then, um, and then went and did my DJs, sat in the basement of the book club. But, yeah, weirdly never nervous, because it was always excitement. It was always... It's the reason I managed to stop with no regrets yeah. playing live was because it was excitement to play them these songs that we've worked really hard on. And once I played all them songs so many times to so many people, I was like, that excitement was gone, kind of thing. Or well, not gone, but I knew it would go. So once I stopped, there wasn't any any urge to get, get back up there. I, again, I completely would have thought it was about the buzz and the adoration and the crowds. I've not missed it at all. And that was because the excitement was, oh, I've got this new song and I want them all to hear it and I want to perform it. And again, I'm I'm confident in how I'm going to perform it. I want to get all that emotion and and energy out. I think I I heard, again, on another podcast recently, I think it was Tim Key talking about saying how his brother is far more outgoing than him and he's realised it's because he's got an outlet Yeah, and that was me you know I'm not an outgoing on nights out or whatever I'm not an outgoing guy at all but it was because I had an outlet I had that I can go and get that what you need from that bit of attention or that bit of expressing yourself I could go and do that every night on tour and then when I'm done I'm like like again tour buses were always hilarious I'd have to let new support acts because support acts normally come in the van with us a lot of time I'd have to let them know that I'm fine (laughs) Yeah, I'm not angry they haven't done anything wrong I'm just chilling because I'd just be sitting there. Yeah, I'm just boring. <laughs> I'm just really I'd just be boring. sitting there with the greatest hits of Cindy Lauper in my headphones, yep. playing a game on my Game Boy or whatever, and just or reading or my laptop. I, I remember having a hard drive that had every every Pride fight ever. Yeah, so I'd be in the back of the van just watching Pride fights. For most people, they won't
2: understand. That's a really good time, right there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was having, I was in heaven. But again, it was it, it was a weird thing because a lot of people on tours, you're all like all that excitement's Mm. there and you're fired up, Dan would be quite loud and quite particularly, because again, it's natural. You've got all this adrenaline. And that's Dan. And that's Dan. Mm. But I'd be so, yeah, that was all I needed. I'll have that hour on stage. Other than that, I'm good. I don't need, it's why I was never big after-party guy or anything like that. Because I know I've had my, I did my bit. I really enjoyed that. I don't need any more attention. I don't need any praise. I'm just going to go and chill.
2: So, was that something that made kind of, obviously with the solo record, you put together a band for the yeah. first time. And yeah. and so did that make, was that pretty much your approach to, to touring with the band then as well? Just like, look, you know, we, we'll, we'll get it out of our systems on stage and then the rest of the time, let's let's do what we got to do to stay sane.
1: A hundred percent. And again, on those tours, B. Dolan was another just, because again, he, he was more experienced in touring yeah. as well. So, but yeah, exactly that. We got the band together, um, auditioned a load of, of drummers, Quake was one of the ones we auditioned who plays on a lot of K Tempest stuff mm. absolute legend but he didn't fit but Paul Glover turned up like we auditioned three drummers I think in one day maybe four and we wanted them to play over Intradiction where the drums are by Travis Barker mm. so it's it's a tough one but sure. we'd given them a couple of songs to practice the first two came in did their thing before I said obviously it's really hard to play over a song that's got drums on so we'll do our best well, I completely understand that and they did fine. But again, it is hard to play over something. Yeah. The drums are already there. Paul turned up. was like, All right. oh, they didn't, they didn't give any precursor or, or warning fine. Played it. A- absolutely beat perfect. Absolutely amazing. On to the next song? Okay, onto the next one. Played that absolutely perfect. It was like, okay, so um, I'll hear from you or whatever. <laughs> and it was instantly. As soon as he walked out of the room, me and, and Warren were like, let's get him. Yeah. Like Quake, for example he's fucking cool. He's got big dreadlocks. Yeah. He's got his glasses. He's a fucking cool guy. Yeah. But we're like, do we want to pick a cool guy yeah. or the person who's going to nail it every single night yeah, of course. and not be a nightmare at all? And not that Quake would have been a nightmare, Yeah, but we, also- we'd seen someone who was just a professional and again, turned out to be a good lad as well. Yeah. But on that, on that thing, it was like each of the other guys probably seemed like the cool more, r- 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 rock and roll option yeah. at that point. And Paul just turned up. Was like, I will not miss a beat.
2: Yeah, the whole tour. That's what you want. Do you want
1: that? We're like, yeah, let's have that. Absolutely. And then, yeah, it was exactly that. But <laughs> not to throw anyone under the bus, Warren and Paul hadn't had as much tour experience as yeah. us at that point. So me and B were a lot better at the let's have our moment, then call it a night and go to yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah. And Warren and Paul were a bit more Should we go out to a bar. Yeah, and Salman Jim again yeah. on that tour. We'd got Did Jim he? back for that one. <laughs> Um, they were a bit more, me, me and be more than happy to go back to the hotel, and yeah. they're more kind of should we go out for a drink? Because it was yeah. a good gig, it was really enjoyable. And our minds are like, well, we've got a month long tour. I know that go out for a drink ends up being out all night. We've got another gig tomorrow. Yeah, B- boringly professional. But and yeah. they were the more kind of
2: yeah. let's go and party. Talk me through the last ever show. Like, was there <laughs> was there nerves ahead of that?
1: Yeah there probably was actually there was emotions at least at least there were big emotions cuz it was best of all it'd been announced as our last ever show and that was kind of our home show I've got on on my on my laptop at home the screensaver I've got is us at best of all one yeah. year and there's at least 20,000 people yeah in front of us so I'm down the front just on on the mic just just running past there's at least 20,000 cuz we had this this main stage slot we didn't clash with anyone So it it was one of them. It's not they were all there for us, but it was one of them where if there's not much on, you head towards the main stage, really. Sweet. And it went really well, and we had this amazing gig, and we had numerous, like, we had years of different playing on this stage and and it being rammed outside the tent and all this. So we had that. It was going to be at Best of All. Rob the Bank had signed us, was going to introduce us. My mum and dad were in the crowd, a few friends and family, and obviously a whole load of fans the the tent was rammed outside the tent was rammed and yeah there were nerves it was a weird one not kind of knowing what to say to dan because it's kind of like here we go like this is it and i think we probably did hug afterwards maybe but i'm not sure what we did beforehand because again we're not really huggy huggy people kind of thing but yeah again there were that nerves was if there were nerves, it was excitement almost immediately. I do remember actually there was one period I've just remember where I had nerves, and it was this crossover between the live band and me and Dan. So I'd been doing the live band stuff for a while.
2: I'm,
1: me and Dan had n- never had a rehearsal. Yeah, I'd practice on my own. He'd practice on his own. And then we'd maybe I'd sit in the van and go over some bits. But there was a period where I'd been touring with, with the live band that was coming to an end, and me and Dan, we're going to start our final kind of tours. Yeah. And a festival booked me and the live band on the main stage and had a dance tent. They said, well, you and Dan would be up for doing the dance tent later in the in the day. The main stage gig I went amazing, circle pits, mosh pits, loved it all, knocking back the rosé. Then the adrenaline stops. And by the time we get to mine and Dan's gig, I'm not drunk, but I'm not where I should be for the start of a gig. And we'd never practiced because we were just gigging constantly from day one. Mm. We didn't need to practice because we were doing five gigs a week. That is practice. And there was, we, we, I always remember we were doing Look for the Woman and I'd practiced all the new songs, but I hadn't been been going over the old songs. I didn't mm. know it. It was fucking heartbreaking. Like We got to a point and I was like, ah, fuck. Yeah. Can't remember the words. And I kind of played it. I was like, can someone remind me? And someone gave me a bit and I did it. And then I lost the words again. Or Dan started again and we, and we went through it again. And then in the end, I had to just kind of style it out and we just did the choruses. It was fucking embarrassing. I've never had that. I've never. You did at the Fat Surfer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it flashed back to that moment. It flashed back to, to that 100%. And me and Dan were headlining a festival the next day. And in the hotel that night, I downloaded every song we've ever written. how
2: much of a nerd out you would have had then. Yeah.
1: The whole van on the way there, I was listening over and over our stuff. And I never listened to our stuff. It's weird, but over and over just practicing it. And then we did this gig and it went amazing. It was headlining a festival, which was mad, like the main stage of this festival. And it went great. But that was, yeah, that was one of the times I was nervous going on stage. Because again, I'd got too relaxed. Speaking of never having any any nerves, it bit me on the ass. I thought I could do a gig. With my band, get drunk, be all, yeah, we're at a festival, yeah. and then go and do another gig with Dan, having not practised in a year or two at that point, point, yeah, and just sm- sm- smash it. And that was a wake-up call. The, yeah. the one time I've had that kind of, remember, this isn't just a given. Yeah, You've got to work at this as well. So, and so yeah. But, yeah, that last gig was then a joy. And, yeah, we f- finished it, I had a hug with Rob the Bank and Dan and S- Sarah from Sunday Best and stuff like that. And then I had to host the spoken word tent in about half an hour. Business as usual. <laughs> so I rushed off and hosted the spoken word. And that was the weirdest thing to have done that with that crowd. Yeah. And then be, it's not even me. It's me the going. adrenaline dump. You're right, everyone. And there was a good crowd there. But it was like, you're right, everyone. And next is K Tempest or whoever yeah. else. It's like, man, that's the end of an era. An era has literally ended. And I'm already on to the next, the next thing. Weird, we'll,
2: man. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, also just, just if you can hear any sort of background noise, we're not auditioning drummers for for, for <laughs> Pip's next project. Uh, somebody next to the studio has decided to start banging and, and, and drilling, uh, so hopefully that's not uh, too loud. Well, obviously, us and our friends make jokes at you how frustrated you get when people continue to ask you, oh, when's the next album out, Pip?" Yeah. And just while we're talking, obviously live, I've I've been to and been on stage with you at, at several live podcasts. Mm-hmm but you're still very, very selective and choice as to when and if you do them. Yeah. So just to sort of wrap things up, where's your head at now with being on stage, entertaining a live audience in whatever format?
1: Not into it, man. I'm not into it. I don't get any buzz from it. It's why I've stopped doing the live podcast. Again, I enjoy them, but there's more nerves on them than there ever was on the gigs. And yeah, I don't know. It was, a, I said, it was a big realisation. The whole point of live was to show people this stuff that we've worked really hard on, rather than to get praise or adoration or money. And then again, the money's a big part of it as well. That's why you tour, and that's yeah. why, particularly when the arse was, was dr- dr- dropping out of music in general. But yeah, it doesn't appeal to me. I've been at mates gigs, people like Sage and Dolan, who I've done songs with, who will always say, end, if you want to, like, we'll do that song. It's always like, no, I'd rather watch. I'd yeah. rather just be there enjoying it. I feel I won't do anything on stage again until I need to. Yeah. And let me explain that I, until it's beneficial to me. So I can see, for example, if I get one of the, the films I'm trying to get made made, I can see me, I've said a few times to people, the films I want to make aren't big commercial things at the moment. So if I get to make any of them, I'll tour them like a record. I'll take my experience from gigs. So I'll do a Q&A at every... At, I'll spend a month doing Q, Q&As up and down yeah. the country at all these different screenings. I'll do a bit of, you know, get someone else up. I'll do a, a podcast afterwards. I'll do anything yeah. to get people in. So if there's something... If, there's, if, if I can use live to benefit where my focus and passion is now... Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll do something. I, again, I can't... S- s- so, so see me doing any music or gigs again but you yeah. never know again i still feel if something happened that i was like right i've got this stuff i want to do and maybe i could see it happening but again the more the more distance i get from it the more it feels like that's a different person and yeah. i can't see it happening again but yeah I st- they'll get asked all the time by people who don't realize i'm not mm. i'm not doing that anymore whether it be people in the music industry or people in the acting or yeah. podcast or whatever else, I had Fat Boy Slim recently hit me up asking if I'll I'll perform at one of his events he's doing, and I was like, "No, man,
2: not." Yeah, but then that that, that makes you think that, that's obviously testament to the fact that you're more passionate about acting and yeah. podcasting than you are because offers like that come along once in a lifetime, and if you're not feeling it, yeah. then you don't feel like you're going to be able to do it the justice it probably deserves because your passion is elsewhere, yeah. then you should follow your passions always. You know, it's, it's definitely something, you know, from a, a from a outsider looking at your career, something you've always done. And like, why change that?
1: It's weird. I didn't expect to be bringing up self-esteem so much in this episode, but we were talking about them before mm-hmm. we, we started recording, but their album was called Pr- Prioritize pleasure. And everyone kind of, a lot of interviews be is it's about, it's about wanking. It's about, sex seven part of it is but also it's about prioritizing pleasure in life in general and i think i got to that point I was like right i really enjoyed all them gigs and now i don't fancy it yeah <laughs> so, so when a gig offer comes in it could be for tons of money it could be a really good you're on with this person or that person I don't fancy it yeah so rather than going oh but you know as you said this is a great opportunity you shouldn't you shouldn't turn this down it's yeah. like yeah but i don't want to <laughs> regardless yeah. of it being a great opportunity i don't want to do that yeah, so I won't. Yeah, I'm not going to sit there and go, yeah, but you know, you'll re- you, you'll regret it if you don't. So far, I haven't. Yeah, I've turned down loads of gigs, and so far, I've not regretted any of them. I've gone to some of them, yeah. had a wonderful time, and I've not been there thinking, I wish everyone was looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I was getting to do my song, and they were looking. I wish everyone could see how great I am. <laughs> I've not I've not had that at all. I've been like, all right, I'll just stay here I'll watch everyone. It's wicked. I love yeah. it. So yeah. There's no desire to go back. But as I said, there's, there is still... I always touch upon this. I do still have little s- song ideas come into my mind or write little lyrics. And so far, writing them is enough f- 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 for me. Like the yeah. buzz I get from writing it, I don't feel any need for anyone else to hear it, yeah. to record it, to develop it at all. The buzz I get from coming up with a little rhyme or a little p- pattern, that's enough. Yeah, There might be a point w- one day. Again, it becomes more... It becomes less and less likely the further away I get away, away from it all. But yeah. there might be a chance at some point that I'm like, I need to record this, or I need to write this, or m- yeah. make this happen. Then, if that happens, then it will be because I want to, not yeah. because I'm like, oh, people keep tweeting me. I've had that tweet tip me over the edge. Yeah. As as I've told you before, there was a point that the tweets were the thing that were guaranteeing I'm not going to make any more music because yeah. <laughs> they were just getting annoying. It was yeah. like I found an old old DM the other day. So, Someone hit me up about a gig. They said, I hit you up a few years back. And I saw the, the first one. And the first one was, I'm taking a year or two off from live. Give me a shout down the line. So it was interesting to see that I'd kind of forgotten that it wasn't a hard line stop from the yeah. start. It was originally, I'm taking a pause. Yeah, And then it's just become harder and harder. And that's because of, number one, falling in love with some another area. And number two, being a, stubborn, a little prick. So yeah. th- when there was that period where everything... I'd pour my heart into. Yeah. I'd release something new, yeah. and everyone would just be doing any, any more music. they this, and I'll fuck off. I'm never doing any more.
2: <laughs> but then people can, can, you know, get to see This Pit performing in your new career. It's not even a new career now. In your mm. career as actor, obviously we, we do an episode on acting. Yeah. Uh, and also, if they miss your voice, you've been putting out like a podcast a week for the last six or seven years. Yeah. And Don't that's get stuck what, in. <laughs> And that's what
1: was interesting, man, because there's episodes of the podcast that I'm as proud of if not more proud of than any of the songs I ever ever wrote. Yeah. The Refugee Special and the, the Safe Housing for Women Special are some of the best things I've done in my career. Mm. And I sometimes hope that people who miss the music realise that. Yeah. That it's not just a, oh, I'm just doing a podcast now because it's easy or because this or because that. It's like, no, there's stuff there that I think is as impactful or more impactful than anything I've ever written. And it's just conversation. And I, again, the reason I mentioned The divorce episode is that episode with my mum and dad because I said I tried to write about that. The amount of times I tried to write about it, I tried to find an angle on it, and it felt icky. Yeah, it felt horrible. It felt like too much of an emotional thing to be going. Here's a song. Yes. seventy nine p on iTunes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It was like no, no, I can't, I can't turn it into that. So yeah, and same with this. I said script writing. Script writing is the weird thing that I've had a four or five year journey on that. That no one knows about. Mm. <laughs> like there's been stuff in development. I've got better. I've learned things, but it's not been public. Mm. Like it's not been stuff that's out there. So yeah. that's a really interesting area because it's like, all right, people don't realise there's loads of other stuff going on that I'm just. Yeah, it's my absolute passion. But yeah, it's a weird one. I can't remember where I was going on there. I normally find a really nice way to to round these up, but this yeah. time I've stumbled to an end.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think how we can finish this one. <laughs> when's the new record out
1: <laughs> There we go. That was all the the stories of playing live and I'm I'm furious you weren't already familiar with Roy Danilla and the motherfucking posers. The the greatest cover band to
2: ever play two gigs
1: and then and then split up. <laughs>
2: I bet the rest of that band, if they listen to this podcast, must be thinking, why has he balled that up? I really tried to bury that. Only me and my therapist know about this.
1: Oh, that was it. As I touched upon, everyone else in it was so much more talented than me. <laughs> I was originally going to be the guitarist, and then we met a second more talented guitarist. Yeah. That's why I became the bassist. Yeah,
2: it must kill them that you went on to have a successful music career.
1: Yeah, heartbreaking, <laughs> heartbreaking. Thank you all for tuning in. As we s- said at the in the intro, we're past the halfway point now, mm. so there's two episodes to go back and enjoy and two more to come. Mm. Um, and please, like, subscribe and all that business and chat to us on the socials. Right? We will be doing a series too. We've got a long list of things that we want to talk about. Things like... collaboration spoken word go into gigs podcasting all these different things but we want to hear your suggestions as well because we're open like it's not a it's a penciled in list yeah it's it's not in 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 permanent ink yet so we're open to suggestion and we want to know what you'd like to hear about so reach out on the socials and uh and tune in next week i guess like and subscribe and all that business (laughs) bye-bye